thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. If you're here and you're bound, the Lord is able to break those chains that are in your life. If you find yourself... Uh, engage in things that you're like the Apostle Paul and say, I wish I wouldn't do these things. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is uh, weak. You find yourself in that type of situation. The Lord is here and desires to break those chains in your life. I believe that. I believe the Lord uh, can do it. I believe the Lord does do it. And I believe the Lord will do it. For you and for me. And so we must continually seek him, earnestly long after him, and know that the power of God is greater than any power that is able to bind you, any power that is able to grasp a hold of you and and hold you back from God's grace and fullness in your life. God's power is greater than those things. And so at this church, at Riverstone Church, and at many churches uh, that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're praying for and what we are longing for is the move of the Spirit where God gets a hold of us in a way in which whatever hinders us from worshiping Him in spirit and in truth just kind of falls by the wayside. And our singular focus in this life, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, our singular focus in this life is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We long after it. We desire it. We press towards it. We pray for it. And we see his mighty manifestation in our midst. And that is what we are longing for as a church body. That's what I am personally longing for in my own life as an individual. I'm longing after the Lord for more of him. And that's not something that I'm simply conjuring up in my own mind to say, oh, I just want to be this type of person. It's something that the Lord is working within me, and I believe also working within you. It is this press to seek him more because God is desirous to do something. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the seeds, the seeds of revival in Acts chapter 8. I appreciate uh, Brother Jay leading us last week in the word of the Lord in uh, the first few verses of Acts chapter 8. I believe the Lord spoke to us through him, and I'm grateful for that. And I want us to continue uh, reading in Acts chapter 5 here in just a few moments. If you have not been baptized, uh, I would uh, encourage you. Uh, we've pushed our baptism to next Sunday, so we'll be uh, having baptism here in uh, the second service, but it will be such that you're able to kind of stay over to that first part of second service in order to participate or see the baptisms that will happen. And if you have not been baptized, I'd encourage you to follow the Lord in that. You've professed faith in Jesus. The next step in obedience is baptism. So if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to follow the Lord in that step of obedience. Uh, and you can do that. Uh, the best way to let us know is by just visiting our website at riverstonechurch.net forward slash baptism and uh, uh, just signing up there to let us know and uh, someone will be in touch with you this week. 
Tonight, as uh, we've been sharing with you over the last several weeks at 6 p.m., we normally gather together uh, for uh, prayer, and we're going to do that tonight as well. We're going to gather tonight for prayer, Uh, but we're also, as part of that prayer time, we're going to share uh, some thoughts about the church, where the church has been and where the church is going, and in that will be some updates about our facility and services and finances and things, but it is a prayer meeting. It's a meeting to share with you information for the purposes of prayer and whatever feedback we might have or questions you might have. But I don't, I don't want it to be mistaken that this is simply a business meeting that's happening. What, uh, I I felt like we need to call it as a family meeting. That's what this is. It's a meeting of the family, uh, together. And so I, and I, I won't get down on my knee and beg you, but I want you to be here tonight. If you can uh, at all be here this evening, uh, if Sunday night is normally not your thing, I would ask you to make it your thing tonight, please, and be here at 6 p.m. and hear what the Lord is doing, but also be here just so you can understand for the purpose of prayer, to help us to pray and seek the Lord. This isn't in my notes, but uh, I I want to share it with you. As I've been going through the book of Acts, I've shared this with a few people personally. One of the things that I see in the book of Acts is that it wasn't the church enacting a program and saying, God, bless what we're doing. God, we cry out to you, Lord. We're doing this for your glory. God, bless what we're doing here. You don't really see that so much in the book of Acts. What we see in the book of Acts is the spirit of God moving and the church following where the spirit of God is moving. We see the Spirit, the Spirit working in various places and the Spirit doing various things in various people and the church is observant of that and going to those places. You're seeing those people being raised up and those people are doing that calling and that work that God has spoken within them and the church is following after the work of the Spirit. It's not getting together and saying, well, this would be the program to reach out in, and this would be the best program to reach out in Holly Mead and kind of get more people to kind of come to our fellowship. It's the church coming together in prayer and seeking the Lord and seeing where God is working and then pressing into where God is already working, where his spirit is already moving. And that's what we want to do. That's why tonight is important. We want to pray and we want to discern, God, where are you uh, working? And so uh, I just appreciate you um, making plans to be here, if at all possible, uh, this evening. If you will, stand with me and let's read together in Acts chapter 8. We're going to go verse 5 through verse 25 this morning, Lord willing. Beginning at verse 5, Philip, who was one of the seven who was earlier chosen, uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all from the smallest to the greatest were giving attention to him saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. 
And when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this morning thanking you for the reading of Scripture. And I pray, God, that you would be with us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, uh, I need your grace this morning through this message God, to speak your truth, Lord, I pray you give me ears to hear as you would give all of us ears to hear, Uh, Lord, but help me to only speak that which is your plan and will, that there will be no detraction uh, from the word of the Lord that would be uh, due to my own self or my own uh, thoughts or desires, Lord, that what is preached and shared this morning, God, would be from you. And so that is uh, our prayer this morning, Lord. We're hungry. We're hungry, God, and we don't have time for foolishness, Lord. Uh, We desire your word, and so God, help me to be faithful to that. And so I thank you, and uh, we just exalt you once more, Lord, for we know your presence is in this place. And we welcome you here, O God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to approach this message just a little differently, maybe than uh, kind of traditional traditional approach to uh, the the sermon, and that I want to begin by just kind of giving you some details about the people who are involved in this story, about the situation and context in which uh, we find ourselves reading today in uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, as uh, Brother Jay shared last week, the church was in the midst of uh, persecution. What had happened uh, in Jerusalem with Stephen, it sort of Uh, put the pressure on some of the believers in that area because they knew persecution was coming. And you and I, in the same way, if we knew that this morning we were under threat of persecution, we we wouldn't necessarily lose our faith. We wouldn't turn away from the Lord. But if we knew that there was going to be persecution here this morning, some of us may not show up. 
Uh, we may maybe go to another uh, place that's a little more secretive. Maybe we wouldn't gather together as, as publicly. We wouldn't, uh, Lord willing, we wouldn't give up our calling. We wouldn't give up the message of Jesus. But we may end up and go to some other places and maybe not gather in the type of groups that we had been gathering before. And that's certainly what was happening as the onslaught of persecution was centered within uh, Jerusalem during this time. And so this, this turmoil that was going on in Jerusalem was a means that the Lord used in order to begin to press the gospel out in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Now remember, Jesus had prayed for uh, Jerusalem. Jesus had desired for Jerusalem to uh, come to him and to be comforted by him. But he said, Jerusalem, you don't want it. In essence, the Jews, you don't want it. You're not desirous of it. And so what's happening now after the gospel had been preached and shared in Jerusalem, the gospel is now going out to places where people who are desirous to hear. And we see that happening right here in uh, Samaria, which this is really the first step uh, beyond Jerusalem and Judea, the immediate Jewish territory uh, around where Jesus served and particularly that upper room experience on the day of Pentecost. And so Philip finds himself going down to uh, Samaria. Now, Samaria was a, a place, in this case, it may not have been exactly a city, but more of uh, a region, an area where people who were these Samaritans dwelled. And Jews and Samaritans sort of had conflict between the two of them uh, for over a thousand years at this point. So what had happened when the nation of Israel split into uh, two groups, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the capital of the northern kingdom uh, became Samaria. The southern kingdom was Jerusalem. Samaria tended to be uh, engaged in more pagan worship. They went after uh, other gods. They were pulled out uh, into captivity quicker than the uh, southern kingdom. There was intermarrying between what was originally Jews and these nations that were coming in and conquering them. And so the Jews who were truly pure Jews, they saw the Samaritans as sort of these half-breed people that were to be looked down upon. And the Samaritans, for uh, their perspective, they didn't like the Jews either. And so the Samaritans built their temple on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem, and there was this rivalry, and essentially they hated one another. And when we think about revival, revival often happens in areas and places that have been written off by the spiritual elites. And why would God work in Samaria? They don't keep the laws, they're not holy, they intermarried, they disobeyed God, they've always been pagans. Why would God start a revival in Samaria? So Philip, he goes down to Samaria. Now Philip was a 
what was a Hellenistic Jew simply by his name. That's what we try to discern. That name indicates that he probably has a a Hellenistic background, which he kind of would understand what it's like to not be fully accepted in Jerusalem. So Philip would have a concept and an understanding. While he wasn't a Samaritan, he still wasn't seen uh, as kind of the elite in Jerusalem. And so for him to be the one that sort of carries the gospel down into Samaria, he sort of had a point of reference or a point of understanding of where the Samaritans were. Later in the book of Acts, we're told that Stephen, who is uh, the evangelist, the evangelist Stephen, that he has four daughters. And Luke tells us that these daughters were unmarried prophetesses. So Stephen, I'm sorry, Philip was an evangelist who has four daughters. And the Bible says that these four daughters were unmarried prophetesses. So Stephen, um, Philip, sorry, Philip being an evangelist, uh, what does what evangelists do? And what do evangelists do? They share the gospel. They go and they share the gospel in places where the gospel hasn't been shared before. And so the natural and next logical sequence outside of Jerusalem and Judea was to go down into Samaria. Now, if you're looking at a map of uh, Israel, When the Bible says going down into Samaria, it's talking about elevation points, not north and south. So he didn't actually go south. Jerusalem sat higher than Samaria. He actually went north, but he went down an elevation point, down in elevation to Samaria, and he began to preach and to share the gospel. And as he's preaching and he shares the gospel, another person in our story who we encounter, whose name is Simon. Now, Simon lived and profited from the culture around him. Uh, He did not seem to go as far as to say he was God, but he did the next best thing and said, I am the power of God. And he was doing miracles by demonic forces and people were following him and he was well known in the area. And he was a seller of pagan and demonic activity in order to gain for himself wealth. And we actually see this happen today with people who proclaim that they are sharing the gospel when in essence they're not sharing the gospel, they're preaching another gospel in order to enrich themselves. We actually see this kind of thing happening uh, today. And so we get a word from this context in which Simon is uh, living and dwelling. It's called simony. And simony is when someone in an ecclesiastical role does what they do in order to enrich themselves. Someone in the role of the church is simply doing what they're doing in order to get a paycheck. It actually goes all the way back to this guy in the book of Acts. The other people that we encounter were the crowds in uh, Samaria. From the least to the greatest, the Bible says, they were giving attention uh, to Simon. They were enamored by the demonic activity around them. And otherwise, in other words, they were looking to the culture and wowed by the culture around them. And when God used Philip to display God's glory, the crowd began turning their attention away from the demonic activity, away from the pagan activity, away from the desires of the flesh, and 
press towards what Philip was preaching, which was the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the power of God on display cannot be ignored. When revival comes, people will take notice. When revival enters the church and when God's people are revived in their spirit, people around begin to take notice and they begin to long after what the people of God have, which is a move of God's spirit. The apostles come down as this move of the Spirit is happening. They come to Samaria, and they pray that the Samaritans would receive the Holy Spirit. This is an apostolic recognition of what God was already doing. You see, as I said earlier, what the apostles were doing were simply following the move of the Spirit. The Spirit's moving down in Samaria, so we're going to Samaria, and we're going to see what's happening in Samaria. So we're following after where the Holy Spirit is going. Now, how did they know where the Holy Spirit was going? They were people who were earnest in prayer, people who were discerning. They didn't say, okay, guys, let's come together. And our next program, we're going to start out in Samaria. We're going to do some community outreach in Samaria. We're going to gather around in kind of the public places. And we're going to do our blow-up toys. And we're going to give out certain things so the kids that come in, no, they said, hey, God's moving. We want to be where God is moving. I heard someone once say, I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. (laughs) That's where I want to be. Under the spout where the glory comes out. A few weeks ago, we talked about a move of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why as believers we ought to seek this work of the Holy Spirit. And it is really clearly spelled out for us here in Acts chapter 8 what is going on. We see that the Samaritans, these crowds of people, these who were turning away from pagan idolatry and demonic activities were turning to the work of the Holy Spirit and what Philip was preaching about Jesus Christ. They were saved. They were being baptized. And yet there was something when Peter and John came down, what they desired for them was not simply to have an experience of water baptism, but they wanted them to have an experience of spirit baptism. And they wanted to pray for them because it says the script, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them in verse 16. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is no doubt that these people were believers. It is no doubt that these people were saved, that they had come into relationship with Jesus, that they believed Jesus. They had turned from their wicked ways. They were longing after something different. So there was this salvation experience that had happened, but the apostles saw there was another work that was necessary, a second work after salvation, which is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they began laying hands on the people and praying for them to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 tells us that Simon saw something happen. So what does that tell us about the work of the Spirit? It doesn't tell us what Simon saw. It doesn't 
tell us what experience these believers who were being baptized in the Holy Spirit had, but it was noticeable to people who were on the outside that there was something that had happened in these who had already believed, had already been baptized, that there was this second thing that was going on, and it was a visible manifestation of God's presence in their life. When Simon saw that there was something visible happening, he desired it as well to be able to buy that authority. Again, we're not exactly told what type of manifestation. We see it in other types of uh, stories like this in the book of Acts, that there is this visible manifestation of either speaking in tongues or an utterance or something that is going on, but there was this work of the Spirit that was after salvation in which something uh, noticeable happens in the life of the believer. And what is important is that the apostles came down in order to ensure that this was happening among this new group of converts. And there is a reason for that. When you live in the midst of a pagan society and there's demonic spiritual activity that is happening, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you every day to refuse that mess and to focus your attention on the good things that the Lord has for you. The apostles weren't satisfied with where the believers were. Simon, there's debate about Simon. There's debate about Simon's relationship with God. There are some people who say Simon was a false convert from the beginning. He was never a believer at all uh, from the beginning of his encounter with, uh, with Philip and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ that he never truly, he was just doing all this for the purposes of show. Others say that Simon was a believer. He, he saw what was going on, but he was an undiscipled, someone who really didn't have a great understanding of what was happening. Whichever way Simon falls, what we do see is that Simon tried to shortcut the process. Let me pay you in order that I might have this experience so that I can then lay my hands on other people and they will have that same experience. You see, Simon was used to kind of being in the crowds of people. He was used to being the one who was getting the accolades. He was used to being the one who was saying, oh, the great power of God. He was used to that. And so there's still this pull from the old life to say, hey, give me this power that when the crowds are coming to you and they're crying out for this power of the Holy Spirit, let me pay you to give me that in order that I might pray that they might come to me in that way too. And Peter says, let your gold perish with you. You have to repent. You have to pray. See, there's a, there's a, there's a reason that Peter says, what you've done is against God's plan. What you've asked is against God's plan. And what you have to do at this point now is you have to go back. You know, Jesus says this way back in the book or, or, way, or further in the book of Revelation. When he tells the church, you have to go back and do your first works over again. And so go back now and repent and 
pray. You desire the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe you are longing after the Lord. You've given your heart to Jesus. You love Jesus. You want to do something for Jesus, but maybe there's something missing. See, you know right now as I'm speaking to you, there's something missing in my life. I'm just not there. I'm longing for it. God, I'm after you. God, I'm hungry for more, but I'm just not there. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come to me. Come to me. But you can't short circuit the process. And the work of the Holy Spirit comes as we seek after the Lord, as we pray and as we long after him. The more you're in his word, the more you desire him, the more you want to be in his presence. God will continually work in your life. See, Simon, he was trying to use an earthly means to get to a spiritual move of God trying to conjure up something here on his own. He wasn't following after the Spirit. He's trying to get something going here in order for a move of God to sort of come about or a spiritual move rather than doing the hard and heavenly work of longing and prayer. So this brings me to a few points that I want to share with you uh, about uh, revival, a few aspects of a move of God that we see in this passage and we also see historically in moves of God. Uh, first, there's a hunger for righteousness that's born out of prayer. So far in the book of Acts, look at who is praying and who is not. Go back and read up through our text today and see Who's praying and who's not praying? What we see is the early church in persecution. They're being beat up. They're being uh, stoned. They're being uh, yelled at. And they're being pushed out. They're being, the uh, Bible says, ravaged. Saul was going house to house. All of these things. And look who's praying and who's not. We don't see the religious leaders praying, oh, God, give us wisdom about this move. Is it true? Is it of you? We don't see the religious leaders doing that. Who do we see doing it? The people who are being beaten up, broken, and ravaged, crying out, oh God, help us. Let your hand do signs and wonders. Let your hand confirm your work, oh God. People, hungry people, hungry people, a hunger for righteousness born out of prayer. It's the, it's the new Christians that are praying and preaching and teaching. The persecution doesn't stop that. It, it, it makes it explode. It pushes it out. They pray more. They long more. They get together more. A hunger that nothing can stop. Nothing can squash the hunger for righteousness. That's a seed of revival. Nothing can take it away. No matter what, God, I will long after you. I will press after you. I will seek after you because I want and long to be righteous. We see here in this passage and in other revivals throughout history that the world around is in turmoil and in spiritual rebellion. The religious system was squabbling, opposition, political debate. Could I write a newspaper article and have it published about our current day? With those words, 
the world around sort of falling apart, people falling away. I, I heard this week two other individuals, grew up, one grew up in the faith, one who has uh, uh, been a faithful or in time past a faithful writer of things that other Christians have benefited from, both of them coming out and saying, oh, I'm not a believer anymore. I'm, I'm deconstructing my faith or whatever that sort of thing means. And the Bible says in the end times, there's going to be this great falling away. There's going to be a falling away. I don't want to be one that falls away. So I need the Holy Spirit to keep me focused on what I need to focus on and not look to the right hand or to the left hand and see what the world is doing to get my eyes caught up in that. As we were coming to church this morning, I'm speaking to my son and I'm saying, you're going to go off to college probably here soon in a few months. And what I want you to think about is don't open the door to things that will begin to pull you away. Keep your heart, keep your mind, keep your eyes focused. What we also see in the midst of revival is people fulfilling the gospel calling. Philip did in this instance what was natural for an evangelist to do, preach the word of God in new places. You know, when I was growing up and I went off to Bible college, I thought there was one calling. If God had a calling on your life, if you were feeling a stirring in your life, there was one thing that you could do, and that one thing was to be a pastor. There wasn't anything else that God would call anybody to do. The only thing you could do was to be a pastor. That's kind of the impression that I had when I went off to college and I read in the scriptures and I look in the scriptures and what I see is there's a multiplicity of gifts and what we have to shake from is the person who normally stands behind the pulpit is not the one in charge. The Holy Spirit is the one in charge and the Holy Spirit gives gifts for the building up of his kingdom and you have a gift and I have a gift and I have to be faithful in my gift and you have to be faithful in your gift. See, what happens, I believe, in time is that one person says this gift is above all the other gifts. This gift is kind of more important than all the other gifts. And then all the people with all the other gifts come and they sit and they don't have opportunity to use their gift because there's one gift that's dominating them all. But that's not how God has designed his church and that is not how we will lead this church. There is a reason that you're going to see multiple people doing multiple things. We're not going to build a kingdom of man. We're not going to build a kingdom around one purpose. What I hope and what I pray is that if I go outside of here this week and I get hit by a bus, that this church continues on in faithfulness because there's people who step up and fulfill their God-given role. My prayer is that you wouldn't be here because of who's behind the pulpit. You'd be here because God has brought you here. And you want to labor in your giftedness. You want to labor in your calling because there's more than one calling in the church. And we see that over and over and over again. The apostle Paul, as he's encouraging the churches, talks about this varied giftedness. You wonder, God, what are you going to do with me? God, how, what, am I going, what am I supposed to do? What is my calling? What is my gifting? There's people who will help you find that. But what it will be is a stirring in your heart that you can't get away from. I see nothing when I go back and I read through Acts 8, and I begin in the beginning, I, taught, I see how Saul was ravaging the church and he was entering house to house and dragging off men and women and he was putting them in prison. And it says those who were scattered, they didn't go into hiding. They actually didn't even go to the apostles and say, hey guys, can we do this? Can we do a program? I'm feeling God leading. I want to go on to Samaria. Hey guys, can we, can we go do this? I don't see this. Philip is an evangelist. 
And he does what evangelists do. There's a new place. Gospel hasn't been preached in Samaria. I'm an evangelist. I have a burden. There's a fire in my soul. It won't quench. I can't do anything about it unless I go down to Samaria to people who haven't heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them about this person who they've been waiting for. It's Jesus. A burning fire that wouldn't be quenched. A fulfillment of what God is desirous to do. There was one time when uh, I was serving at a local church and uh, my wife and I moved to Tennessee. And during that time in uh, Tennessee uh, uh, for a year or so, I helped my wife's uncle was very gracious and gave me uh, some, some work to do, helping to renovate one of his uh, rental houses and then actually ended up letting us live in the rental house. But in that year, as I was peeling wallpaper off the wall and helping to put down tile and painting the outside of uh, the house and uh, helping to put a deck on and all those kind of things that I was doing, and we were still going to church and we were still trying to be faithful uh, in what God was calling us to do. And I had someone come to me uh, who was connected in, in ministry, and he said, when are you going to get back in the ministry? Or are you going to get back in the ministry? And I guess I understand what he meant by that, but I was already in the ministry. Nothing had changed except where the financial resources were coming from. And one of the things that Nicole and I have always determined in our married life is that we're not looking at the signature on the paycheck. The signature on the paycheck is not our boss. It's never been our boss. The signature on the paycheck has never been our boss. God has always been our provider. See, if I see the signature on the paycheck as the boss, that's who I'm going to try to please. But if I don't see the signature on the paycheck as the boss, and I see God as the boss, he's who I'm going to please. That's who I'm longing after. That's who I'm working for. That's why I try to have a good work ethic, because I want to please God. And it filters down into the other areas of life. Yes, income is important, but God has provided in my life, and I'm sure in your life too, in all types of ways. But what we must do is be faithful to fulfill the calling that God has upon us. And when revival comes, what we see is people stepping up and fulfilling the calling that God has for them. We see a renewed desire to know and understand God's word, that the crowds were giving attention to what Philip was saying. They were listening to the word of the Lord. They were desirous to hear the word of the Lord. Tell us more. We're hungry. We're longing. We're yearning. Tell us more. There were uncharacteristic signs and wonders of God's power. Now, let's hear this. The demonic forces didn't just get quiet. The opposition from the spirit realm didn't simply stop. But demonic spirits were coming out of people. People were being healed and of diseases and maladies and signs and great wonders were taking place. But in verse 7, the demonic spirits were coming out with loud shouting voices. What would we do if that happened this morning? How would we respond? You see, we pray for revival, don't we? We want revival to come, but do we want all the things that come along with revival? 
Do we want all of the things that are part of the revival manifestations? Because as the Lord begins to work and as people begin to come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, do you think the enemy's just going to sit aside and say, oh, good, 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 something's happening over there? No, as the gospel is being preached and revival is stirring and the revival fires are, are growing, the enemy is going to try to grow his stronghold. He's going to try to grow his demonic influence. But it's no match for the power of God. That is why we have to be a place where we are willing to welcome people in who come in drunk and drugged up and whatever else it is, and they go out free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're willing to see them come in, and we're not going to look at them askance, but we are going to love them with the grace of Jesus because we know the power of God is greater. The power of God is able to deliver. The power of God is able to restore marriages and restore lives. See, you can be as broken as as broken gets. And when the Holy Spirit moves on your life, it only takes an instant for God to put the pieces back together again. You see that demonic manifestation, Simon, uh, by the demonic forces, he had had a stronghold in Samaria for a long time. The scripture says that he was astonishing people with his magic art. But when Philip came on the scene and Philip was doing what an evangelist does because he was called to be an evangelist and the evangelization was working because God's spirit was already in Samaria beginning to stir. And there were probably some people who were saying, I'm sick of really what's going on with Simon. I've seen this dog and pony show before and I'm hungry for something that's real, something more than what Simon has been giving. And Philip comes on the scene and Philip begins to preach the message of hope. And now the crowds are no longer after Simon, but they're longing after the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in revival groups of people being baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is why I share with you at least a few times now about the importance of us seeking after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've shared this quote before, it still rings in my ears. He says, what is revival if it is not groups of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's not an accessory to your salvation. We must be a people who long after and are moved by the Spirit. Now, I know there's all kinds of ideas in our mind of what that looks like. And what I would say, hunger and thirst after righteousness and you will be filled. Keep hungering, keep thirsting, and God will fill you and be open to however he fills you. Final thing that we see in Revivals, it was to see a supreme devotion to the glory of Christ. We see throughout this story that Philip's message to them was Christ in verse 5. In verse 12, Philip preached the good news of the kingdom of, and of the name of Jesus Christ. You see, revival must be centered around Jesus. We must be a Jesus-centric people. We must see the work of Jesus on the cross, his shed blood for the remission of our sins, that he is our spirit baptizer. You know, Simon, he got it wrong. He was enamored by the signs and wonders. And yeah, you know, I'd like to see some of those things at times as well. But what I'd like to see even more than that is the great power of the Lord Jesus Christ being preached and lives being changed by the message of hope that comes only through Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. You see, all the crowds got it right. It wasn't people who were sitting back and they were the educated people and the learned people and the people you would naturally think that were studying, looking, watching. It was the crowds of people who had been in the counterfeit and now saw the real and knew the counterfeit couldn't match what was real. And it was by the preaching of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. You see, if you're just looking after signs and wonders, it's like baking a good meal and only getting to smell it but never getting to taste it. That's a horrible place to be, isn't it? in another room just sniffing what's cooking but never being able to eat. And that's what it's like to sit around and to see a move of the Spirit but never be willing to actually step in and pray, God, me too. In 2 Timothy 1 and 6, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. So there is some responsibility on Timothy to kind of work it and sort of desire it and long for it and pray for it and kindle this, do some work. If you're going to kindle a fire, you got to kind of poke it around and stir it up and you got to put some dry wood on in order to get the fire to blazing again. You see, you and I have a responsibility to do that. It's not just sitting around saying, God's not doing it. God's not doing it. We've got a responsibility to help kindle afresh that flame that we tasted at salvation. We want revival. We can't just wait for it. You and I have to long for it. And I long for it. And that is why I desire And I I believe I should say we desire, we desire as a fellowship, we desire as a congregation, a move of the Holy Spirit to where we are following. You know what that looks like? It doesn't doesn't look like traditional church. You know, because there's going to be times where we're going to say, that's a nice uh, thing that's going on, nice little program over there, but that's not where the Spirit's moving. And we're in agreement. That's not where the spirit, Spirit's moving over here. And this is where we're going. We're investing our resource, our time, our energy, our effort in order to be where the Spirit is moving. And so as you stand with me this morning, over the next few minutes, I would ask you, to pray that God would help you to kindle afresh that gift. To long for that work of the Holy Spirit. If you have, uh, maybe, maybe you're not sure, you're not sure. Maybe I have experienced that. I'm not sure if I've experienced that. I want to experience that. I at least want to experience a greater hunger than what I have. Maybe you want people to pray for you. I'm going to invite some of our prayer leaders that will come. Maybe you just want to make a place at the altar and pray. God can touch you there without someone actually having to lay a hand on you or anything else. God is able to touch you in that moment. But if you just say, hey, God, I'm hungry. I want you to do something in me and I don't really know what it looks like and I know that can be a dangerous prayer, can it? God, I'm hungering and thirsting after you. 
And if your spirit comes and your spirit is going to bring revival, I want to be in the midst of revival. Maybe you're here and you have a calling on your life. You know what that calling is, and you're saying, God, open the door to Samaria for me. God, show me where to go. Your spirit's working. Show me where to go, God. Show me where to go. I want to be, be where you're working, God. I want to be in that midst. I want to invite you to come and pray or even make a place of prayer where you are. Sometimes stepping out helps us to confirm to ourselves and others that we're making a commitment to God. And that's why I invite you uh, to come this morning. If we can have some prayer leaders gather here in the front. If you'd like prayer, please come. And let's seek the Lord here for the next few minutes together. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.